Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. When do we take control of our lives and our destiny? We're a small country, but we punch way above our weight. Like, I'm filming now at this stage, to be honest with you. I thought it was one of the hardest things to do. It was horrid. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Do you know what grinds my gears? I mean, really, really grinds my gears. And I've heard it this morning. Front page of the newspapers, at least some of them today, carry the story of the youngest victim of the COVID-19 pandemic. The youngest life lost, a life of just 14 years. And that emerged in the last 24 hours that a young teenager, 14 years of age, has died from a COVID-related illness. And amazingly, they are still having the gall, some people, to bring in this distinction of with or of. Does it matter? He's dead. His parents are devastated. His friends are lost and don't know what's happened. His schoolmates. Does it actually matter with or of? I think that is a disgusting argument to be making when we were talking about the youngest victim of the pandemic so far. But that's just me. My gears are a bit ground down by that this morning. Oh. I also see, or in the, Net- in the Netherlands, they're gone into what they're calling a mild lockdown. Uh, they're closing the clubs again, I think, and they're closing some concert halls. And that's for three weeks. Uh, the business as usual for the retail sector and, and that kind of thing, but clubs and theatres and stuff being locked down again for three weeks in the, in the Netherlands because they too have a surge. There's other people out there would would like you to believe that we're the only place in the world at the moment having a surge, which of course is absolute balderdash. 
nonsense. I wanted to use another B word, but you can get sacked for using that one. But let's catch up with another one of our regular contributors uh, to the opinion line uh, on the subject of COVID-19. That's Professor Christine Lush, Professor of Immunology at Dublin City University. Christine, good morning to you. Good morning, how are you? Very good. I think I was out last night, Christine, and I was talking to a few people and they were asking me, PJ, are they going to lock us down again? Is it really going to get out of control again? I'm scared. What is the story? I don't think we'll go into another lockdown. And I think that's because while we're worrying, while people are focused on the case numbers at the moment, um, and they are higher than we've seen before um, uh, this year, I, I do think that we need to just keep on remembering that the translation into hospitalizations, severe illness and deaths is much lower at this case number level than it ever was before. And that's because of our vaccine wall. So I think that, you know, we're, our hospitalizations are obviously a concern, um, but they aren't, you know, translating in the same way as as they would have earlier this year. So we're going to see higher numbers coming into the winter. I mean, just like all of the rest of the coronaviruses, you know, uh, SARS-CoV-2 is going to be at its best in the winter time. It's a seasonal virus. We haven't done winter with Delta before. So, I mean, the, the, the fact that we are only at this level with how transmissible Delta is, maybe five times more transmissible than Alpha that we were dealing with in January and February and March. So, you know, I think we're, we're doing a pretty good job in containing and stabilizing. I know we've just had a surge, but it's kind of stabilized again. We might see another surge and it might stabilize again. Mm. But I think that's what's to be expected. Remember, we opened everything up coming into the winter. We literally, in the space of six weeks, we opened schools, universities, Everybody went back to work. We opened public transport. Um, and then, you know, we opened all of the rest of the hospitality. Of course, that meant that people were going to be interacting more. And of course, it was going to impact on case numbers. But we need to focus on the hospitalizations and the yes. ICUs. And they are not where they were before, even though we would always have a concern about where they might go. I did some comparisons during the week. And as you know, the HSE publishes a report every evening without fail on where the hospitals are. And you're right, of course, a quarter of the uh, ICU and hospital admissions that we had back in January. But at the same time, we've also got other uh, reasons for people to be in hospital particularly respiratory reasons. We've got RSV out there running riot among the, among children. So we are in the squeeze in the hospitals, Christy, and we can't argue against that. Yeah, no, we are in the squeeze, but we're not. I don't think we're in the same squeeze as we were before. And I think that there's one key problem that we have at the moment, and that is that when you look at the case numbers, so over the last two weeks, which, are, which we know are about 42,000. When you look at those case numbers and look at the number of cases that translate into hospitalizations, you're talking about 350 to 400. 63% of those were in people over the age of 55 and 60. And, and they are the people that are desperately needing those boosters because waning immunity, while it's completely normal after a vaccine, it's, it's, it's a problem against Delta. And that's because Delta is a really good virus for causing infection. So I do think that the one thing that's going to impact on, on those translation of cases into hospitalizations and, and decreasing that number is getting those boosters rolled out as quickly as possible. Yeah. That is the one thing that's going to impact on that number. And if you impact on that number, our hospitalizations should go right down. Do we need to start bank, um, boost, giving boosters to those below 60? 
So we, we will, I would say we will need to start giving boosters to the other age cohorts you know, when they come up to five or six months after they originally got them. So once we finish with the over 60s, we need to start going down through the age cohorts the same way we did before, because the science would say that when you get your booster, it looks like you're going to have such a high level of immunity that it's going to last for Mm. much, much longer. Because it it seems to act very fast and give a very high response in in, uh, to, to, and particularly to Delta, which is great. Yeah, and and particularly those, remember, the other issue that we're facing at the moment is a lot of healthcare workers are getting COVID, but also the people in the over 60 category, a lot of them got AstraZeneca. And we know that AstraZeneca is just not as good against Delta um, as the Pfizer was. So them getting a Pfizer booster now would be really, really good for them, would really give enhanced immunity. Lots of research showing that when you mix those vaccines, you get a really, really strong immune response. So they'll have great protection coming into the winter. But but the key thing is, is pressing fast forward on those boosters. Yeah. Are there new generations of vaccines in the mix, Christine, that will deal specifically with Delta or give a longer lasting immunity or maybe tackle the big the big one, transmission? Yeah, so essentially when when we faced into the alpha wave at the start of the year, Pfizer actually tweaked their mRNA vaccine. And that's the great thing about mRNA vaccines. They're really easy to tweak. So they're basically a set of instructions for your cells to make a protein. So it's easy just to tweak the instructions. And what they did was they made a tweaked version of their of their mRNA vaccine against alpha, did a short clinical trial and showed it was really good. And then, of course, Delta came along and my to my knowledge, they have actually done a tweak and they've tried it against Delta. But what they are doing all the time in the background is they're tweaking their mRNA and, and showing that they can quickly put something into mass production if we need it. And the only real reason we would need it is if something came along that was much more transmissible or that caused more severe disease. And I think that the the only one that will probably come along, in my opinion, is maybe something that's more transmissible. Um, it wouldn't be a good evolution for the virus to cause more severe disease because it would kill its host. That's not really good for a virus. A virus wants to infect and live. Um, so I do think that we have the ability to make a tweaked version of a vaccine very quickly if we need it. And that's what the companies are focused on at the moment. So I think that's very positive and very optimistic going into the future that we have that technology there now to do that. Yeah. Looking at AstraZeneca and indeed Johnson & Johnson, which we kind of pushed out of the picture now, we're not doing them anymore. I, I, I read somewhere, though, that when you give someone a Pfizer on top of a Johnson & Johnson that they originally got are the AstraZeneca. There's a tremendous response within the immune system. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, you know, that was, you know, what I was referring to just a couple of minutes ago in terms of that mixing, mm. that the mixing is actually um, is actually shown a really like almost like a little bit of a super response. So is that what they call memory cell people, immunity or what? So essentially you get memory cell immunity when you get any of the vaccines. But what this will do is it gives you much higher quality antibody, but it also gives you much higher levels of antibody and much more in terms of numbers of the right kind of T cells that you'll need if you actually come in contact with the virus. So you actually just get a whole big enhancement of your immune response. And I think that's really good reference for Anyone that's in that over 60 category that got the AstraZeneca 
um, that they will have an enhanced level of immunity coming into the winter yeah. as soon as they get their booster. Yeah, it, um, it, it's hard for the layman to get their head around it. But what I think you're saying to me is that the memory cell immunity, in other words, the, the, the latent immunity that you're, when you get your booster, if you had AstraZeneca or you had Johnson & Johnson, your body goes, oh, hey, here we go, bang. Quickly. Yeah, and 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 what happens is is that you turn on your immune response again, um, but the antibody and the cells that you switch on and that you keep for having your memory response are much more powerful than they would have been before. And I think that's really good reassurance to people. Yeah. And I know there was a lot of controversy, and people in their over sixties were, you know, in in some ways kind of felt hard done by that they got AstraZeneca, and then we realised it wasn't as good against Delta. And they were kind of worrying about that and they had to wait so long for their second dose. So I think almost like they're they're phasing into a bit of a bonus now in that yeah. this mixing of the vaccine might actually give them a super immune response. So I think that's really reassuring for people coming into the winter. But I think with the boosters, one of the things that will help press fast forward on it, and I'm hearing in the news this morning, is we need to get the pharmacies back on board. They want to be on board to, to dole out the boosters and they're not in the programme. And I think they need to be in the programme because they were so, they really added an extra layer um, in terms of accelerating mm. our rollout of the vaccine. And I think we should be tapping into it. They're community-based People don't need to travel very far. They're very good in these age groups that we're dealing with now, over 60s, over 70s. So I think that we need to revisit that decision. And I think we need to allow them to do what they want to do, yeah. which is to help ro roll out this booster campaign. And it will no doubt accelerate the campaign. I was looking at a report from Singapore during the week where anybody who is now five or six months after their initial vaccination can now walk up and ask for a booster once they're over yeah. 30. Yeah, and I suppose lots of other countries have moved on the science around boosters quicker than we have. In fairness, I know that we waited for the initial um, EMA decision around boosters for over a over a certain age group. We we did recommend boosters for immunocompromised people before the EMA gave their decision. So we did move quickly on that in fairness. But the biggest issue we've had is that NIAC very quickly made that decision about the over 60s and then weeks went by before it was implemented. So that's our delay there is what we need. We need to play catch up a little bit. Some um, people also point we to, are, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Some people also point to the difference between if if the EMA says green light today, it can be another week and a half, two weeks before NIAC says, yeah, we're okay with that. Like, is it time to start bypassing NIAC and saying once the EMA gives no. the okay, let's go? No, I think NIAC is. I think NIAC is a really important body um, that has. Um, made really important decisions about the vaccine's approvals and the availability in Ireland. So I, I think that the fact that the EMA says, yes, this is great, pretty much every country in Europe would then have their own local committee right. that would just have another look at the data. So they would look at all the data that the EMA had, so all the data from the trials, any safety data, um, and really what they'll be looking for in boosters is, you know, there was some science around the fact that the second shot was associated with more side effects for people. And what they'd be specifically looking for is, is that are the boosters going to cause any more issues? Now, that's not really the case in general, but it might be that somebody who maybe didn't have any side effects first or second time around in terms of being tired or having yeah. a sore arm that might be worse on a booster dose, yeah. but not necessarily. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but they look at, they look at the real world data, they look at the safety data, they look at the research. And I think that 
there's a really good reassurance to people knowing that people of that level of expertise have looked at that data in yeah. detail and they're given that decision. We just need to move quickly on their decisions, though. I take your point. Lastly, and briefly, again, it's about the changing of the science. They're doing great things in Israel now, for example, looking ahead to the future. Maybe we should all be doing that. But from day one, people have been saying to me here, PJ, sure, they told me this last week and they told me this the week before. And it's all changing and I don't know what to believe. Isn't that... Christine, isn't that the nature of something like this? It can change on a sixpence. Yeah, I mean, literally, I mean, somebody could publish a paper tomorrow because they were doing a a trial in the background and tell us something new and it might change everything. I mean, I do remember uh, going back earlier this year. Do you remember we we were all talking about the 27th version of the the vaccine rollout? And what we were trying to say was, it's good that we keep changing things. It means we're progressing. It means that science is telling us more every day and we're able to adjust what we're doing to make sure that we're doing the best that we can. So what we're doing now and the information we have now is like worlds apart from what we had 18 months ago when we were dealing with an unknown. So I think that what people, the way people should view changes in advice, changes in, you know, the vaccine regime or changes in what we're doing is a positive thing because it means we're responding to the new information that we have. And that's, that is, I think, a really positive thing. And people should look at that really positively. I know that people who are very against a lot of what we're doing take those things and make them seem like they're a negative. But I think for the most part, People need to really focus that this is a positive thing. It means that we're moving with the science and that's the best thing for us to be doing. Always a pleasure to have your expertise on the opinion line. Thank you very much. Professor Christine Lusher, Professor of Immunology at Dublin City University. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Focus what you mean, got my eyes on the prize, that's me. Manchester City are the champions, number one, that's top of the league. The best football league in the world is right here. Firmino with the flick, Salah! Fernandez, he's going to go for goal, oh, what a goal. The Premier League Live, powered by Top Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie. Tune in Saturdays as we ramp up the excitement for the day's biggest games. We'll bring you pre-match analysis, live commentary and in-depth interviews with some legends of the sport. The Premier League Live with Now. Join in the experience with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. Listen every Saturday exclusively online at 96fm.ie or download the Cork's 96fm app. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96fm. Coming up later, I got a present... I got a present in the post and I opened it up and it was a most unusual present. I'll tell you about that in a while. And also there's Holy War in Killarney where people like to take wedding photographs down there in the wonderful Muckrush estate. People have been left in floods of tears down there. That's coming up too. But first, 1850-715-996. Here's uh, harsh words in the doll from Minister Dara O'Brien. Minister for Housing, he had been accused by Sinn Féin of planning to attend a proposed roadshow for institutional investors. And he accused them of trying to create a controversy out of a non-issue. I actually think you should be better than this. 
you should be honest with people. You have a responsibility as a TD and a legislator. But no, your priority is to raise a non-issue to create a controversy. And let me be very, very clear with you. And you know this. There are no plans, and I have no plans, to attend any of the proposed events, proposed events that you reference. Sinn Féin Housing Spokesperson Owen Bryn. Owen, uh, were you stirring up for the benefit of social media, which is what he also said in that few words? Good morning to you. PJ, good morning to you. Yeah, I, I have to say, I, I was a little taken aback by the Minister's response. So, so just a little bit of background. Uh, some very good investigative reporting uh, by a journalist called Craig Hughes of the Irish Mail on Sunday revealed documentation uh, from the Department of Finance uh, dating back to the summer of last of this year. Uh, and that documentation from the Department of Finance, so this is a memo prepared for the Secretary-General, outlined that following the government's decision to increase stamp duty on certain categories of institutional investors to try and deter them from block buying uh, houses and duplexes that were originally built for families to buy, uh, the Department of Housing officials were uh, nervous that investors were spooked uh, by this government decision. And the Department of Housing asked the Department of Finance to assist them in organising a roadshow at which the Minister of Finance and the Minister of Housing would attend to try and reassure these very same investors uh, and to give them some reassurance that there weren't further policy changes coming down the track. So that's virtually what was in the, um, the memo. Now, the reason why this is significant is because uh, housing affordability is one of the single most important issues for those of us involved in the housing debate. It affects people in Cork, as it does here in Mm. Dublin. And there are certain categories of institutional investors who are coming in, availing of very, very generous tax breaks and being able to outbid uh, working people uh, uh, for uh, houses, duplexes and apartments by a factor of 30, 40, 50, 60,000 per home. Darrell Bryan had been very critical of this when he was in opposition. In fact, he was the first politician ever to use the word cuckoo fund on the floor of the doll. And yet, since he's been in government over a year and a half, he's done very little to deter this. So what I was doing, and I think anybody who listens to the full exchange, if they have the time on the, on the Iraqis website, will see that what I was asking is, first of all, could the minister confirm that the information in the memo to the Secretary General of the Department of Finance was true? Was a roadshow being organised? Was he planning to attend? Um, and who was he going to meet? Now, he had been asked those questions by journalists, uh, particularly Craig Hughes, who ran more of the story on the Monday and Tuesday in the Irish Mail, and he hadn't answered them. Uh, and two things are significant about what the minister said in the clip that you just outlined. He said there are no plans. Well, there are, because Pascal Donoghue confirmed a few days earlier under questioning that he would attend such a thing. Clearly, the Minister for Housing has now said he wouldn't attend. Mm. But again, that's not what he said. Are you accusing him of speaking an untruth in the door? All I can say is is that we we have had over three days a very reasonable and legitimate questioning by the opposition about an issue that goes to the heart of our affordable housing crisis um, and how government poorly regulates certain categories of investment funds. That Pascal Dunhu has said that there is going to be a tour and he will attend. The Taoiseach has said there is no tour. And Dar O'Brien has said there are no plans. Uh, and, and if there are, he's not attending. That doesn't seem to be like a consistent message among the Taoiseach, the, the Minister of Finance and mm-hmm. Minister for Housing. Based and, on a memo that, like you said, uh, that yeah. journalist and, and, got. And again, Craig, Craig Hughes has, has published online uh, whole sections of the memo sure. for context. Sure. And for me, the really important point is this, right? Because this isn't about... But no, no, come back to my question, which you didn't answer. Are you suggesting that the minister has uh, spoken an untruth in the Dáil? 
what I'm saying is is the statements by Pascal, Pascal Donoghue, the Minister for Finance, the Taoiseach, Michael Martin, and the Housing Minister aren't consistent. But, I don't but know which one is doing, telling the truth. Oh, with respect, that's but not what I asked you. The consistency of their statements isn't the question. My, the, do you my, believe he... My direct answer to you is, I don't know which of the three of them to believe, but somebody is not telling the truth. Okay, okay, okay. But can I say, here's what's really important in all of this, because the, the real issue can get lost. The reason why this is important is because uh, Michael Noonan introduced incredibly generous uh, tax breaks to uh, encourage institutional investors to come into the Irish property market. Owen Murphy made very, very bad planning uh, changes. Uh, or changes to planning law, again, at the behest of these same investors. I'm not against private sector investment coming in, buying land, getting planning permission, and building good quality homes for people to rent or buy. That's not a problem. What I am very concerned about is a certain category of investor who doesn't build anything, but they swoop in after other reputable builders build uh, homes. And because they can avail of the generous tax breaks uh, that Fine Gael introduced in a previous government that say ordinary buyers can't, they're able to significantly outbid families, push yeah. up the price. And they're becoming mass landlords, effectively. Well, and but what they're also doing is they're inflating the price of houses, making it much more difficult for working people <laughs> to buy, and then charging extortionate rents. And, and for me, the real issue, uh, and this is what I will accuse Dara O'Brien of, is rank hypocrisy. He opposed this in opposition. He said he was going to do something about it. Mm. Here we are a year and a half on. And instead of dealing with the issue, he, he, he's personalising his attack against me as an individual. And that's fine. I've, I've thick skin and a brass neck like most politicians. But he's not dealing with the core issue of okay. the rising price of homes and the inability of working people, even on good incomes, to buy uh, 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 their home for life uh, and instead to be forced to rent at high rents indefinitely into the future. Speaking of doing things in opposition, uh, I was looking over a few newspaper articles and I know newspaper won't refuse ink on, but people often ask me to ask you this question when, when I'm speaking to you. Why does Sinn Féin seem to, and I use that word, seem mm-hmm. to serially object to the building of houses? 6,000 houses across Dublin. I could go back to examples from, say, Fingolf and Devony Gardens and other Oscar Trainer. You know, why do you keep objecting to house, the building of houses in the middle of a housing crisis? So two things. Uh, on, on all of the developments that those 6,000 units of accommodation relate to, so it's Oscar Trainer Road or Devony Gardens, uh, there's one in Donabate and two in uh, Talent Clondalkin. We're not against houses being built on any of those sites. In fact, uh, one of those sites with 1,000 homes, uh, uh, although they haven't been built, is in my constituency, and I've yeah. been campaigning for 10 years on it. What we were against and what we voted against was the transfer of public land owned by local authorities at low or no cost to private developers where very large swathes of the houses that would be delivered on that land it would be sold at the open market at unaffordable prices of, say, €400,000. What we have argued for the start is all of those 6,000 homes to be built, but to be built led by local authorities with a really, really good mixture of social mm-hmm. homes, affordable rental homes, and crucially affordable purchase homes. Would you accept that more stock brings prices now? No, it doesn't, unfortunately. I mean, in fact, if you look at the last year of the Celtic Tiger where 90,000 homes were being built, house prices continue to rise. But there's a more important point in our opposition to these land transfers, is that uh, uh, when you transfer public land, which is in short supply, 
to a private developer in one of these Fine Gael Fine sweetheart deals. What it does is it reduces the number of affordable homes that the local authority can deliver. So if you take O'Devany Gardens, half of the homes there, right, and there's now going to be about a thousand homes, half of them will be sold at prices over 400,000 euros. If government had done what we had called for back when Simon Coveney was minister and funded the local authority to develop that as a social affordable rental and affordable purchase uh, site, uh, the homes would have already been built by now and every single home on that site would be affordable, every single one. Why should we be allowing half uh, of the homes built on public land to be sold at unaffordable open market prices? It makes no sense. So we're in favour of developing homes on every single one of those sites, but public housing should be used for social, affordable rental and affordable mm. purchase homes, not to line the pockets of the developer friends of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. Let me put this call to you that has come in uh, this morning I'm no fan of the government, as you know, and Fergal tells me that it's someone we know and he isn't. But all these fellas are great when they're in opposition. The second they get into power, they become traitors to the people. This guy can shout and roar all he wants, but he's kidding even himself if he thinks people will regard it him or them as any different. Once, twice, three times bitten. What I think this man is saying, Owen, is you talk a great talk. But when the reality of being government hits, it's a bit different. Uh, and look, Fergal asks a very important question. Uh, first of all, uh, I, I do very little shouting. Most people who know me know that my tone is always very uh, uh, reasoned. But what I would say to Fergal is... It's not, no, Fergal, uh, who's writing it up for me? It's just the, the caller. Oh, I don't apologies, to... apologies. What I, what I would say to the, the, to, the, to the caller is give us a chance. Uh, every government since the foundation of this state has been led by Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. Uh, and because every one of those governments has generally done things in the same way as the government before, that has led to a certain level of apathy and cynicism that any political party leading any government can change. And yeah. I can understand that. All we're asking for people to do is give us a chance and Fair then enough. judge us by what we do. And and if we turn out to be like the rest, boot us out of office. Might I suggest, I though, say, Owen, I'm, that when I'm, you get into... I'm, when you Just sorry to cut across. When, I, yeah, yeah, no, when, when, I, when, I, when you do get into government, as if there was a, an election tomorrow, you possibly would, you'll find that in actual fact, you do what you're told by the upper and higher echelon civil servants. Ain't that the truth, well, really? Let's, let, let's, let's see about that, right? But what I would say is, is there are examples, both in our own past, although very few, uh, uh, and in, in other uh, nearby jurisdictions, where either uh, uh, individuals with strong political will or parties can deliver real change. I mean, the introduction, for example, of, of universal free second-level education is, is one example. Uh, the creation of the National Health Service, for example, after the Second World War in Britain is another, where the entire establishment didn't want these things, but they were done. What Sinn Féin is arguing is these shouldn't be isolated incidents in history. Noel Brown and the eradication of TB is another one. We want to lead a government that on health, housing, childcare, sure. uh, 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 cost of living and Irish unity delivers real change and all we're asking for people is give us one chance and then judge us well, by what we do not what we say Well when the election campaign is underway uh, we'll, we'll, we'll listen to all that again but thank you very much Caller says Ono Bryn uh, Sinn Féin uh, housing spokesperson people don't like buying big borrowing big money for a house and seeing the exact same house being gotten for free it's not nice but it's human nature yeah, that's the idea. You you want to, you buy a house in a new estate, and you pay for it, and you get a mortgage and all these things. Then it's the council house, very same house as the council house down the road. People don't like that. That's human nature. Can we just talk? The 
opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Feels good. Cork's 96FM's 10K toy giveaway is back. We're giving away loads of 500 euro toy shopping sprees for free. For free. Take it on a shopping spree. Listen to Casey and Ross in the morning and all day long. Then text or WhatsApp in for your chance to win. On 083 396 96 96. Cork's 96 FM's 10K toy giveaway starts Monday from 6 a.m. With Douglas Village Shopping Center for toys, food, fashion, and lifestyle. 50 years at the heart of the village. Only on Cork. 96 FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96 FM. Oh, I love the fact that some of the uh, some of the response on Twitter to me talking to Christine Lawsher is being billed as more negativity. I think I think you should probably have listened with both ears open. I thought that was quite a positive conversation with the good professor. But anyway, 1850-715-996. I got a present in the post last week. Some gummy bears and a joint. There were cannabis gummy bears and they was a cannabis joint. Now, I have never smoked in my life, so I have no intention of lighting a joint. But anyway, Martin Condon, why did you send me gummy bears and a joint? Good morning. Thank you, by the way. Good morning. You're very welcome on that, Fija. And um, why I sent them that, uh, I sent you those, was because it was a, a milestone anniversary of an event done by the now MEP Looping Flanagan 20 years ago. So it was the 20th anniversary of uh, National Legalised Cannabis Day, which is when Looping Flanagan 20 years ago sent cannabis joints to all of the politicians in Ireland and to select media across the island as well. So we, we recreated the event because much like back then, um, still today there is a need for reform in these laws because as we would have all heard on the run up to Halloween, the, the problems caused by prohibition with uh, the, the gummy bears which you see in front of you, the, the unregulated nature of them and the danger that mm. these pose to kids then as a result of that. Right. So this is all part and parcel of the campaign. The campaign is uh, to highlight the, the harms, the dangers of the prohibition of cat. Uh, cannabis, and uh, you, you, you can see the disclaimer there that's uh, included with the letter warning yeah. people of that. Yeah, yeah. In other words, I mean, I haven't, I've never smoked in my life, much less a joint. But, um, no, I haven't never smoked a joint. A lot of people say, you couldn't. I have never smoked a joint. But the gummy bears, are they illegal? Um, yeah, every, everything there would be illegal effectively under Irish law. Um, so the gummy bears uh, are actually, in fact, um, we we just included them for the crack um, because of the kind of hysteria being created in the media uh, in the media around the dangers of the gummy bears. The only real dangers of the gummy bears is the fact that they're unregulated and are so easily accessible to kids today, currently because of prohibition. The the, the cannabis itself is is a very little danger. You know, we we've seen uh, was there six hospitalizations uh, in Ireland because of the, the gummy bears. Um, and all of those kids got fine. They, they were a bit, some of them were, uh, I don't know, did I say they went into a coma or something like that? But they were, they were after, uh, heavily sedated, so to speak, 
but there was never any real danger there as opposed to maybe your, your painkillers if they were to get get access to those. Those would be, do a lot more than sedate your child. Martin, I would speak frequently to addiction experts on, on the programme, yeah. one of them being in particular Michael Gear and, and um, a brewery. And when I would bring up the kind of campaign that you run, he would say to me, he understands how you feel, but the mm-hmm. dangers of what you're talking about are unspeakable. Yeah, that, that's true. Like, and we could imagine if we play the same conversation around things like, let's just say driving a car. Imagine when we talked about driving cars, we only ever talked about car crashes. We only ever talked about the harms that befell people because of cars. Ima- imagine what a picture that would paint then about the use of cars. But there's many people out there who use cars today and they're fi- quite fine and they use them responsibly. Could we not have the same kind of logical conversation about cannabis that the harms are actually only a very small percent of the users and by and large, people actually are quite fine with the use of cannabis when it's done responsibly and in fact, the criminalization of that person is the, the worst thing to befall a person as we know, you know, job opportunities, travel mm. abilities, it's not good. And there is the other argument, of course, that if you invented alcohol today, it, it wouldn't ever get out into the open. It wouldn't be allowed, probably, if you invented it today. Martin, thanks very much. Uh, thank you for the for the gift of which I won't be availing, but I do appreciate. Thank you very much. That's Martin Condon. 1850-715-996. Reminder to you, every year in Cork, thousands of you get together. It's six weeks today, my friends. Six weeks today is Christmas Eve, and every year thousands of you get together to help fight homelessness with Cork Simon by wearing your Christmas jumper to raise funds. And this year, Cork's 96FM with Cork Simon, asking you to host your Christmas jumper day wherever and however you feel safest in doing so. Who knows, you could be all working from home again after next week, but that is as it may be. Do it in the office, do it at home if that's where you are, do it online with your friends. Have a big Zoom with all your friends and colleagues and people overseas or wherever. Take a big picture and you know yourself. You can get a fundraising pack from CorkSimon.ie and you can join Cork's 96FM in helping to fight homelessness in Cork. 1850-715-996. Story coming out of Killarney uh, in the last couple of days. Uh, a place that I love very much and Killarney's wonderful uh, national park where the mayor of Killarney uh, the mayor of Killarney has said that she's horrified by claims that newlyweds and photographers are being asked to leave favourite backdrops if they don't have permits. This is to do with insurance fears. It is so... It's commonplace for people who get married in Killarney to take a walk, for example, into Muckras Gardens and you see that fantastic view of Muckras Lake from the entrance and across to Ross Castle or even Killarney House inside the town, a lot of people are being asked to leave these beauty spots. Uh, Laura Laura is from Laura and Benny Photography. Laura, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on. Good. Have you come across this? Um, Personally, ourselves, we've never been asked to leave a park, thankfully, PJ, because that's the very last thing you want on a wedding day, especially when the couple are with you and they're all excited about their wedding photography. In saying that, though, there are a lot of places um, around that do actually ask for permits and insurance. But I must say that the Clarny National Park is somewhere that's never communicated to us personally and asked for insurance or a permit before you've actually attended. 
Mm. If you take Mokris, like on any given day, yeah. there's hundreds of people in there taking photographs. Hundreds. Hundreds of them. Hundreds. And, and it's it's such a public area, um, the volumes of people going in there. And to give you an example, we'd be down there and like when we're going to Muckers House and Gardens, it's actually lovely because you'll be guaranteed you'll bump into at least one other photographer and their couple. That's how busy it is. It's yeah. not a case of you're there on your own. There's multiple photographers, videographers and their couples in there at all time. And the culture is it's a very public area with high volumes of people in there. Have you ever been asked to leave? Anywhere. No, we've never been asked to leave. Uh, no, never been asked to leave anywhere. Now, there, like for example, like where I'm a Cork girl and my husband's a, a Dublin man, but we travel all over Munster um, and Leinster as well. And there's many places around, but they would contact us because you know the way you've got a kind of, a, I suppose you've got a regular flow of certain photographers that would go down to um, the certain areas. Um, but they communicate to us and let us know that, you know, if you want to come here, you need to provide your insurance and you need to get a permit. And the OPW would be one, for example, they communicate strongly to everybody that, you know, they have the likes of Fort House and Gardens, Charles mm. Fort, Donnerail, those kind of places. Um, and they would communicate to us that, you know, you need your public liability insurance, which is 6.5 million. Um, and then you need to apply for a permit within a certain time frame on the date of the wedding before you go. We've, but we've, and we do photograph down at Clarny uh, like a lot. We're up and down there a lot. We've never been asked by anybody in Clarny to provide any insurance yeah. or actually get a mm-hmm. get a permit. But do you um, have a permit from Ucris? No, I mean we we've insurance. We have our insurance. So the, the way the permits would work for photography, it's a case of it's a it's a limited permit. So it's a case of you tell them the date you're coming, the couple's name, and they actually ask you for an ETA, um, an estimate time of arrival, oh. and the duration you're going to be there. So it's all, it's, it's per... Um, oh, per really? So, so you can't apply yeah. to the OPW or to the council or whomever hands these things out and say, listen, can I have a permit to cover me for 2021, 2022? No, no, that's not how it works. It's per wedding. It's actually for, it's per wedding. And do and they charge for down. it, Laura? No, they don't charge for it. We just pay for the insurance and then you just you provide the insurance details to them every single time you need to get a permit. Um, and it, there's a lot of paperwork to it. So you have to invite and like it's it's down to even the duration you're there. So if you have to kind of think, okay, am I going to be there half an hour, an hour, two hours? You have to tell them the time you're going to arrive and the time you're going to leave and the permit's given to you for that time frame. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> There, there are worries about, you know, great tourist attractions around the world being worn away by the amount of visitors, for want of a better expression, and people damaging a place to take photographs and not being oh. cognizant of the importance of the fact that the garden is laid out that particular way. So you can't just move that shrub because it's in your way kind of thing. That's it. That's, That's what it's for, isn't it, these permanents? Um, I, I think so. It, I, I think it's more along the line of it's the insurance fear again. Like there's, we're, we're asked for insurance for everything nowadays. Like absolutely everything you do, there's insurance goes with it. And it's the same with photography. But it's kind of a case of it depends who's running the actual area you're going to. Obviously, like if the photographer is a regular to a place or anybody with anybody, I suppose, common sense, you're not going to go and disrupt a garden or, as you said, like move things out of the way for, for a better photo. You need to be respectful of the area you're in as well um, because you are, you know, obviously professional on the day. Um, but I think it, it is more down to the, the insurance side of things. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And of course, the other but, thing about it is yeah. you might need a permit, but the the best man who has a half decent camera in the car doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that. That is the other side of things. It is. It is very, like so. If you were going to say 
Mocker's House and Gardens with your family and you will want a good camera as you said um, you can go in and take as many photographs of your kids running around the place as you want but because we're there on a professional basis and we're actually um, being paid to actually do it on the day as a company then it is a whole other set of rules for us Yeah, all right. listen uh, good to talk with you, that's Laura from Laura and Benny Photography so it's a permit per event. It's to do with liability and insurance and all that nonsense. Um, look, it is about, I suppose, traceability. And it's about knowing who's in there and knowing who's taking photographs. And it's, it's just where we live in a world of paperwork, my friends. Paperwork and box ticking and making sure that that's okay and that's okay and that's signed off on. And the right person has given the nod. Oh, stop, don't. Just don't start. Don't start. We live in a world of paperwork. And this is just more of us. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Michael makes an interesting point about the little presents that I got and hundreds of other people got. In fact, TDs got them of a joint and some gummy bears from Martin. Uh, PJ, you spoke with the man who sent you and others some gummy bears containing a certain substance for the crack. However, once those items left his possession, he'd no control over them. They could have unintentionally gotten into the hands of young persons or others who may not have been aware of the contents, while his intention might have been positive. The consequences could have been disastrous if they were used by persons to whom they could be harmful. So therefore, in my opinion, his actions were, to say the least, irresponsible and not amusing in any way. That's an interesting take on that. We had a few responses as well to uh, Professor Christine Losher. Not all of them were were made any sense but you know uh, can you ask her about boosters for what was cohort 7 unfortunately by the time your question came in she had gone off the line I'm trying to remember myself what was in cohort 7 there was a list of 11 don't hold me to it Good morning PJ myself and my sister were shopping yesterday we went for a coffee no one was checking COVID certs so we asked if they were checking the certs and they said well they were short staffed so we left Uh, says Joan. And the country has reopened up totally and we're expected to reduce our contacts now, says this WhatsApp message. It's like legalizing cannabis. It's all coming up today. And telling people they can only have one joint a day. Once you've given the green light for something, then there's no stopping people's perception of what they can do. We have to put a definite stop to some things, however hard it is, on some businesses. Well, what you're being told is, look, just because the nightclubs are open... You don't have to go. Just because everything is open seven nights now means you don't have to go every night. And if you feel you'd be safer staying out of it, stay out of it. Use a bit of personal responsibility. Rub together the last three functioning brain cells you may have and use them. That's what we're being asked to do. Not too sure it's a massive ask. 
1850-715-996. You know, we all have our favourite detectives. Most of them are off the telly. Uh, and depending on your age, you'll know who I'm talking to, who I'm not. Like in our house, the favourite of all time is Jack Frost, uh, closely followed by Inspector Morse. And they'd be up-to-date ones as well from all the various uh, television shows. But they, these people exist in, in real life. Brilliant, brilliant detectives exist in real life. And one of them is a man called Pat Mary. And Pat Mary uh, is a detective who has been responsible for solving some of the most heinous crimes, murders, in, in our recent history. And his work and life and dedication is the subject of a new true crime podcast called The Making of a Detective, which has been created by uh, the Irish Sun. And I'm joined by their crime editor, Stephen Breen. Stephen, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Listening to the trailers for the first episode, the one uh, about Rachel Callaly. Uh, but tell me first of all about Pat Murray. Who is this guy? Because he's, he's brilliant at what he does. Well, Pat Murray is now, a, he's a retired uh, detective inspector. Um, Pat, uh, throughout his career, you know, has worked on some of the most notorious cases that we've seen uh, that have come before the courts. He has worked on a wide variety of cases, including the, the Rachel Callaly murder, the, the Mary Goff murder, uh, uh, lots of uh, cases where you have, uh, you know, women, you know, murdered by their husbands and um, also, uh, in most recent years, obviously, he was involved in the investigation into the murder of Detective Garda, Adrian Donoghue. And when Pat retired, um, he compiled a book, uh, Making a Detective, uh, featuring some of the cases that he worked on over the years and some of the most notorious cases that we would also know as well. But it was him giving an analysis and an insight into what it was like being a detective at that time and to investigate some of these uh, terrible crimes. And you put together this true crime podcast featuring interviews with Pat and interviews with others mm-hmm. too. Yeah, I think it's important. We, we, we thought about, you know, what, what could we do in terms of a, a podcast? There are a lot of great podcasts out there already from some of my colleagues in, in the media, but the, the, we thought this was something different because, you know, we, we looked at uh, the cases that, that Pat was involved in. And for me, like I, I work in the area of crime, and for me, uh, victims are a priority, and I, I'm only too honoured and privileged to share the story of a, of a victim, their, their family members, for whatever reason, if it's for justice, if it's for about paying tribute to them I think it's very important but you know that's uh, good for us to reflect that in the newspaper but uh, on this occasion you have um, us interviewing you know someone like Pat and also victims families as well where the the listener of the podcast gets to hear in uh, these individuals their own words what it was like at that time for them as an investigator but also for the the victims as well so i thought that was very important and we approached pat and obviously he 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 was keen to get involved but also in in the first four episodes featuring the murder of rachel callaly i think it was important to get support from her family as well and when i spoke to her brother paul for him the podcast was important because it was a way of the family remembering uh, their sister and paying tribute to her but also to remind the public of the awful crimes that Joe O'Reilly, her husband, had committed against her. And also, Paul told me that the fact that people need to remember that Joe O'Reilly will be out of prison in the not-too-distant future. So it's important for the public to to be reminded of what he did. Yeah, you focus as well, I think, on the moment when a lot of us looked at Joe O'Reilly and said, something's not right, was when he appeared in the Late Late Show. You go into some detail on that. 
Yeah, that's again speaking to Paul, and Paul speaks so eloquently about his sister and with such dignity and compassion. Where he goes back to that time, you know, obviously it's a very difficult time for him and and for the family. But you know, he talks about his mother's stomach doing somersaults before they were due to go on the late late show. Whereas you have Joe O'Reilly in the corner of a room getting stuck uh, stuck into uh, sandwiches, and and you know he was very calm and collected. And when Paul looks back at that time following that appeal on the Late Late Show, the family knew straight away that, that Joe O'Reilly was the killer um, at, at that time. Um, they, they, they look at his bizarre behaviour at that time, but when, when Paul reflects back as well, he talks about O'Reilly, that was all part of O'Reilly's cover. That was all part of O'Reilly's elaborate plan to have committed this perfect crime where he was going on TV to portray... Um, that he was the the, uh, the the grieving husband when in fact he didn't shed any tears, he didn't speak well uh, about his wife and he just appealed for information but he's very cold and very calculated but yeah. I think it was a very important moment in the investigation because they, they knew, look, this guy has, is responsible for Rachel's murder. I remember watching that interview myself on the Late Late Show and sitting there and mm-hmm. I suppose, you know, I said to the missus at the time, I said, I, I don't like the look of him. Um, yeah. But I was, I said, am I thinking like a journalist or am I thinking like a viewer? But I just said, I don't like the look of him. And she said, funny, I neither think, do I. Yeah. You know, it was a very telling. Yeah. In, when you look back at it now, mm-hmm. it was there written large. Mm-hmm. You know, and you go into super detail on it. So there's four episodes alone on, on Rachel. Mm-hmm. And then I think the one that would be of great interest as well, particularly to, you know, guard the families around the yes. country of... of of whom I am one, my my late dad was a was a guard mm-hmm. with the the investigation into the murder of Adrian Donahue, and that took years. And mm-hmm. indeed, yes, that, that's that's a very um, important uh, subject matter. As you know, Aaron Brady um, was convicted of Adrian Donahue's uh, murder uh, last year, but I, I think uh, uh, I've written extensively about this horrific crime as well, but. You know, you have to have someone like uh, Pat Murray, who was um, a senior investigating officer on that case, to talk about the Garda mm. investigation, you know, from the very moment Adrian was killed. And, and was he a friend of Adrian's as well, I think? Isn't that right? He, he was in the same station, yes. Yeah. So, uh, but also, like, we've got contributions from other members of the Garda either, including one who travelled to America when Aaron Brady... Um, travel. He went to America following the, the murder. He, he was going there to build a new life for himself, but the course of the guard investigation took them to America where they forged links with the FBI and the NYPD. But also I think it's fascinating where we have um, a couple of interviews with two uh, undercover officers from the NYPD who were tasked with monitoring Aaron Brady when he was in America. And I interviewed these guys last year as well for the newspaper. But I think it's good to hear in their own words as well what Brady was like, his personality, um, his movements. And um, they give a good reflection of what it's like for an undercover officer to follow a target as part of the overall investigation. Okay. Listen, Stephen, it's available, I think, on Apple and all general, all the usual platforms. Uh, it's available today, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, is it the first four episodes have dropped, or has it all dropped today? No, sorry, I just lost you there, Peter. Yeah, it's the first. Um, the first four are available now, and then we'll have uh, the new cases um, next week. It, again, it relates to the, the murder of Mary Goff, Niall Dorr, a young man that was killed in Dundalk, and then uh, Jacqueline Quinn McDonough murdered by her husband as well, and then Adrian Donahue. So the four episodes will come up in uh, a week uh, apart. Okay. All right, Stephen. Good luck with it. It's called The Making of a Detective. New true crime 
uh, podcast, and that's uh, Stephen Breen, crime editor of the Irish Sun. 1850-715-996 available as they say wherever you get your podcasts thank you cohort 7 was those between the ages of 18 and 44 who were classed as vulnerable uh, owing to certain diseases or needing certain medical treatments thank you can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie He's got one of the biggest songs in the world with a little bit of love. His name is Tom Grennan. He's coming to the marquee, but how did his music career start? With a karaoke machine, of course. Yeah, that's there was like a karaoke party um, yeah. at my mate's house. And he just had a karaoke machine and I jumped on and I thought, do you know what I mean? I never thought it would ever lead into what it is now. So um, I just loved it. I've always loved performing. Like I've always been meant to the stage. Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool for Skoda in the City, a long-standing tradition in Cork. Open 24-7 at milldc.com. Cork's 96FM. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Now, COP26, they're telling us, will probably run late into tonight before they come up with this agreement of theirs. We thought it might run into another day, but now they'll sort. Of course they'll sort it out. They'll have to go home, feed the dog and all that kind of thing. So they'll get it sorted among themselves in Glasgow. But as that 
goes on uh, to its inevitable end. Uh, there are celebrations at Unpost because Unpost has been ranked as the third most sustainable postal service in the whole world. Chief Executive David McRedmond is in Cork today. Good morning, David, and congratulations. Oh, thanks, PJ. It's great to be in Cork. Nice morning in Cork here. I'm down in the River Lee Hotel. That's some accolade. Third of the world in terms of sustainability. How was that achieved? Yeah, it, it is. And, and I think all the staff and on post are very proud of it. Um, it's been a lot of work. You know, what we've, what we've done is uh, really taken the broadest approach to what sustainability is. Um, it's, it's not just climate action. That's very important. It's about providing decent work, decent jobs, pensions. That's a big part of sustainability. It's about community work. It's about our involvement in communities. Um, uh, things like giving addresses to homeless people, all the sort of actions that all the people in Unpost have done. And I'm very lucky to be chief executive of, of such a great company. And um, the major piece has been uh, really moving to electric vehicles. And it's why I'm in Cork, because this is the end of our COP26 roadshow. And, you know, today in Cork, we're announcing that all postal deliveries within Cork City will be emission free from now on. So we've uh, a whole new fleet of electric vehicles in Cork. We've removed the last diesel vehicle. And um, that, that makes a major contribution. 80% of our carbon emissions in Unpost are from our vehicles. So, so we've had to address that. So those, those have been the essential actions. Um, and, uh, and I'm delighted to be, to be in Cork doing this because it was, you know, the last, I was in Cork two and a half years ago where we were announcing the closure of the Cork Mail Centre yeah. in Little Island. And I'm not sure people believed us then, but we said, look, we're transitioning from an old world of letters, which is what Postal used to be, into a new world of e-commerce and parcel delivery and everything. So also today in Cork, we're announcing the opening of the Cork Distribution Centre. We've closed um, the, the city offices as being, they still operate, uh, partly, but we've closed them in terms of distribution. It's all done now from Little Island. And we now have in Cork the single most efficient operation in the whole country. So I'm absolutely thrilled to be able to announce that today as well. Mm. In terms of the electric vehicles, uh, you, not just Cork, but Cork, Dublin, Limerick, Galway, Kilkenny and Waterford to be all electric deliveries. And that is the first time a postal service has done it anywhere in the world. That's right. And it is. And, and, and that's that's a huge achievement by a huge achievement by all the postal workers, by the drivers, people having to switch from uh, old diesel vans and learning how to use the electric vans, getting used to having to charge them. So the detail of it is is really hard. Mm. How long did it take to get to this point, David? It's taken us about three years, and it started when um, in Dublin, as we were moving, and it's because because we're now doing parcel deliveries. You can't do parcel deliveries on bicycles. And so the days of the postman or postman of the bicycle, those days are over because you need to be able to deliver parcels. You need to have vans. And an order came across my desk for 780 diesel vehicles for Dublin. Uh, and I said, I'm not putting 780 diesel vehicles in the street. I said, get some electric ones. And they said, yeah, we've tested them. So we get 10 electric. I'm going, do they work? They said, yeah. I said, well, let's go for the full 780 electric. And that was the start of it. 
and um, with a real can-do attitude amongst the staff, we worked out that we can do it. I mean, it's difficult. It's difficult getting charging in place, chargers in place. That's why the Little Island facility is so important because that's actually the largest single depot for electric vehicles now in the country. Yeah, I'm just so wondering where you do charge all charges. these. Like, you know, I mean, where do you charge yeah, them? We charge, we charge them there. We charge them in, in Little Island in, in our distribution centre there. So, uh, and they charge overnight and, and that's what we do. So, um, and of course the whole time, um, uh, electric vehicles are getting better, you know, and we imagine that in two years time, you know, you won't have to charge them so often as, as they've got longer range. And also then we'll be able to put electric vehicles in rural routes at the moment. We can only do them in cities. The rural routes are too long for an electric vehicle. So that's certainly our ambition is to do that. The other ambition we have is with heavy goods vehicles because we've got one electric truck in Dublin, one in Cork. Actually, we've just got one outside the hotel here today for the event we're having. Um, But heavy goods vehicles, there isn't really a commercial electric vehicle. So what we're doing is we're using, um, we're, we're, we're experimenting with vegetable oil. And it's working fantastically well. Hydro treated. I don't want I don't want your listeners putting vegetable oil into their cars and blaming me. But hydro treated vegetable oil and um we've we've run that test, we've run it in Galway, and it's working extremely well. And that removes about ninety percent of the carbon emissions. So wow. we'll probably uh, fuel our, our, our heavy goods vehicles with those until the electric vehicles uh, become commercially okay. available. Okay, just so it's it's not related to this, but I know people would would like me to ask you, David, while you're there, in terms of supply chain at the moment. It's a global discussion. Supply chains are really slow. Are you affected by that, or is it a case of when when your parcel when our parcel lands in your distribution centre? We'll get it as fast as you can give it to us. Are you affected by the the supply chain issue worldwide? Yes, we are. And um, we're affected really by what are our trade wars. You know, the, the, the EU has a whole load of new custom regulations for anything coming in from outside the EU. And originally it was designed to reduce some of the uh, cheaper goods coming in from China. But of course, now that Britain has left the EU, the unintended consequence of that is that, that Britain is also affected by these new EU rules. So the customs situation has got very complicated. And, you know, we're using, we've ads out at the moment saying the world's got more complicated, we'll get you through it. But it does take a little longer. It does mean that people have to pay duty uh, VAT and parcels coming from outside the, uh, the EU. So that's certainly complicated things for us. Um, but we are getting them out as fast as possible. And I can tell you, literally by the statistics, nowhere is getting them faster than Cork because they're coming straight into the Cork distribution centre and they're getting out into Cork City very quickly. So, um, so, that's, so Cork is doing better than the rest of the country. But everywhere there's slight delays. And I think, you know, the, the supply chain delays are uh, sometimes customers are wondering, why is my parcel taking so long? I ordered it online. They said it was available. But in fact, the person that the company online probably don't have the goods, you know, and people think they're with on post. They're not. Yeah. Um, they're, they're trying to get it. And so the supply chain effects, you know, they, they go quite deep into yeah. the, 
the ecosystem, you know, so um, so it does affect us. I will compliment you on one thing. I, I bought something there a couple of months ago now and I'd completely forgotten about the charge coming in, bought it from the UK. It was only a couple of quid, I didn't mind very much, but I have to compliment you on how quickly I was able to do it through your website. So so you get, you're getting something right there. Just coming back to the electric vehicles, you know what's out there now is electric bikes with, with a little trailer on them. For for, uh, for for postmen and postwomen, have you thought of using any of those, particularly for say tight spots or very small runs, rather we than do. have all the vans out there? Them. You do, uh, yeah, we do use them, and I think we've got uh, twenty or so coming into Cork, and um, so we do use those e trikes. They're fantastic, um, and they're really uh, you're right. They're really good for tight city centre deliveries, and um, they don't have a huge capacity, so. You know, you, 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 we still mainly use uh, vans. Um, but no, we do use them for city centre and there are some and, and, and you should be seeing them in Cork any day now. And, and they're, 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 lovely, they're lovely things to see. And a real side of, of a parcel coming is, is one of those e-trikes. So yeah, they're great. And they're a lot easier to get up an old hill too for the postman. Yeah. We have to remember that. Yeah. <laughs> David, good to speak with you. Thank you very much for being with us on the Opinion Line. David McRedmond, the CEO of Unpost. A good news day for them. You have to say, you know, that is, that is good news. The whole five cities all serve now by electric vehicles. They're the first company postal service in the world to do it. And you saw what he said about the supply chain. They are affected by it, but they'll get them out as fast as they can once they actually get your parcel. We are getting some reports of a protest by students in Glanmire. We don't know what it's about. We're checking that out, doing a bit of legwork, but we are hearing about a protest by students in Glanmire. If you're down there and you know anything about it, then... You know what to do. 1850-715-996. PJ, they're letting in loads of people into a soccer stadium and the politicians are all over it. This was the match last night, which of course was a full house and a lot of people concerned that, you know, that might have been a mistake. But look, it's a full house last night for the match. It'll be a full house tomorrow for Ireland versus the All Blacks. We are where we are with this. My husband needs to renew his driving for a job, his driving license. The system won't allow him to process his application online. The company knows he's entitled to a license, but the insurance will not cover him until they literally have a record of the current license. Even in the current circumstances, they're not budging. We've gone to Michael McGrath and Tommy Gould for help. Both gave us a number to ring for urgent cases. The number rings out and there's no voicemail. Can they not find some way of making sure that working people are not left jobless by the state refusing to issue a license that they require instead of lining up to talk about soccer. No media are talking about this issue, but I know there are a few getting caught out by it coming up to Christmas. If it's of any use to your listener, and maybe you've checked this, I had the occasion there recently to check the Queen Bee's driver's license for something. We needed a copy of it. And I looked at it and with horror realised it had expired in August, I goes, oh my God, look at this, it's expired. And I thought, what are we going to do now? But then I forgot about the exemptions. There are still a lot of exemptions for driver's licenses that have expired due, due to COVID. For example, a license that expired in August of this year, officially expired, doesn't have to be renewed now until June of next year. So they have extended, silently extended a lot of driver's licenses. So I would suggest you look at the NDLS website and checking the date 
on your husband's driver's license, he may actually have an, ex- an exemption that you might not know about. Now, I know you've been to a Minister for State, but maybe not. Have you checked it? Just double check it. You'd never know. I didn't know. 1850-715-996. Delivered drivers on. Ah, you're on about electric vans. I think they're great. Heated seats, air conditioning, heated steering, and you get nearly two days out of the full battery. It takes 13 hours to charge, but it's a great drive and fully automatic. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. Right, if you want to check out the wellness of your body and mind today, you can head out to uh, the Blackpool Retail Park, to Heron House, where Atlantia Mind and Body Wellness are having an open day with a very special guest who I'll talk to shortly. But Andrea Doolan is their CEO. Uh, Andrea, good morning. Uh, Tell us about the day first. What's the idea behind it? Good morning, PJ. So today is really about informing the, the consumer, the public, about the type of studies we're doing here at Atlantia. So we're a clinical trials company. We test foods and supplements to determine if they've got a health benefit. So we're looking for participants, both healthy and people who are at risk of developing disease like prediabetes, and test these food supplements on them to see if it's going to have a positive effect. Okay. What kind of things are you researching at the moment? So at the moment, we, test, we do a lot of studies in probiotics and prebiotics. But specifically, we're doing studies um, looking at broccoli soup to see if it can control glucose. We're also um, testing turmeric to see if it can have a positive impact on cognitive and memory function. And also a probiotic to see if it can improve the symptoms of low mood. So we have about 14 studies that we're currently recruiting for. So there's pretty much something there for everyone. Broccoli. I, yeah. I, I happen to live with someone who, who I think has shares in a broccoli farm. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, it's not an attractive vegetable for me but what yeah. are its, it's supposed to be hugely hugely beneficial for you what are its benefits it is really I mean obviously it's um, a green leafy vegetable and so there's a lot of nutritional benefits but I guess from a functional health benefit it has been proven you know at, at a certain level that it can have a positive effect on glucose control now the broccoli we're testing is a super broccoli so it's not like the broccoli you'd buy in the supermarket. It's got a much higher dose in bioactive ingredients that we're testing. Right. Um, and as part of the study, the participants take a soup once a week. So even if you don't love broccoli, you could probably tolerate it once a week yeah. and put some nice Stilton cheese in there to make it taste a bit better. I was just going to say that. Would I be allowed to put loads of pepper and stuff into it? I think, I think we'll allow you to do that, yes. <laughs> and, and it's amazing that something as innocuous as broccoli could, could um, affect sugar levels, which I guess in turn could be very useful knowledge for people trying to deal with, like you said, pre-diabetes. Yes, definitely. But I think it's important, you know, that we we recognise the science that's behind these products. You know, when we go into the supermarket or into the chemist, there's lots of products on the shelf that are making claims. But it's important to know if those claims have been scientifically validated. Yeah. And that's where Atlantia comes in, really, is to test those products and to prove that those claims are, are in fact, real. 
Yeah, because every second box that you pick up has claims about enhanced this and fortified with that. And you really don't know what you're reading. You so how would, how would we check that out if a product has been properly checked or is just an advertising sales pitch? Yeah, so if companies want to, you know, make a claim on their label, they'll have to do their studies, they'll have to submit them to the European Food Safety Authority and get a positive opinion for them to make that health claim. But obviously that's a long process for a lot of companies and it can be quite costly. So as an interim step, a lot of companies are doing the research, but they're promoting it through their website or through publications. And, and that data isn't as accessible. So it's up to the consumer really to search out that information. Gotcha. To do that verification themselves. How can people take part in your open day? Is it still, is it still open? You're not full? Um, it's walk-in where we've got loads of capacity so we can accommodate hundreds of people. Um, it's been open all morning. It'll continue until about 3 o'clock this afternoon. So it's really just walking in. There's a team here who are doing health checks. So they'll check BMI, they'll check blood pressure, heart rate, and also do a glucose test. And, you know, so they get some information out of it as well. And plus they'll have the pleasure of meeting um, our guest of honour today. Who is on the other line, Keith Keith Barry. Andrea, thank you very much, CEO of Atlantia Trials. <laughs> Keith, how are you, sir? Good morning, how are you? All right, what are you up to, you mad thing? <laughs> well, I'm down here uh, entertaining for the day, but also assisting Atlantia in their health care trials down here. And, uh, and I'm a big supporter and a big proponent of this kind of stuff, you know? What are you doing as, as part of the Open Day? So for me, I'm literally here brain hacking while they're hacking biochemistry simultaneously. So I'm here purely to add some uh, lighthearted entertainment, albeit brain hacking entertainment. And you've been privy to that before. Um, But for me, look, as you know, you probably know, I've written a book called Brain Hacks. And that is about hacking people's subconscious mind to assist them in their positivity and reducing their negativity and anxiety. And listen, I've got two young kids who uh, struggle eating their broccoli, as you mentioned. And uh, uh, I'll tell you what, though, I win the battle every day. They eat their broccoli. So for me uh, to have studies on things like this, I think is absolutely fantastic, you know. Like, Keith, on a serious note, this isn't magic. This isn't hypnosis. This is training ourselves mentally. Is that what you're doing? Yeah, so for me, uh, as I said, I'm here to hack people's brains for fun today. But, uh, you know, in in the long term, a lot of people probably don't know. I'm also a scientist, first and foremost. So I graduated from UCG, which is now NUIG with an honours chemistry degree. Uh, I'm also a cosmetic scientist by trade. But more importantly, I've been a mind coach, uh, a hypnotherapist for many years now and assisting people with their mindset. And I think the mind-body approach is so important now. And what they're doing here uh, is both a mind-body approach themselves. So I'm here to talk to people about their mindset. They just want to have a chat about their mindset. Uh, But if they want to have their brain hacked for fun as well, I'm also willing to do that. What kind of things are you doing? uh, well, hacking into people's brains, telling them their uh, PIN numbers for their bank cards. Uh, earlier on this morning, I told somebody the name of their first pet. They ran out screaming, of course, after they had their health check, which was great. So uh, we're having a lot of fun here today. So to show that these things can actually have a, a lighthearted element to them as well, uh, but uh, obviously a, a serious undertone, you know. How do, yeah, you're, not, you're not going to tell me, I suppose, but how do you get the name of someone's first pet? I think I did ask you before, you said they give it to you. They just don't know they're giving it to you. 
Yeah, people talk to me without speaking. That's the easiest way that I can put it. You know, I suppose the easiest way to think about it is, you know, we all hear about pickpockets and we kind of know the techniques of pickpockets. Think of me like a psychic pickpocket. I can ramble around inside your subconscious mind and figure out your innermost thoughts. But in the same breath, you know, I've helped people, thousands of people at this stage over many, many years to assist them subconsciously in getting over fears and phobias and anxieties and stress. And all of those techniques are in the new book, Brain Hacks. And, you know, I think Keith Earls was speaking just recently about the work that I did with him, that within an hour of working with him, I flipped his mindset. Uh, and people forget that he was actually playing quite badly at the time. This is a number of years ago now. And within a year then from uh, me working with him, he won Players Player of the Year. So I think it's just so important for people to understand that, you know, given the circumstances that we're in right now in the middle of this pandemic, that you do have a choice in how you can act and behave uh, to your circumstances. And that choice comes from learning how to program your subconscious mind, you know. Finally, Keith, I, I know that someone's going to do it. Someone's going to walk out there today to Atlantia and say, All right, he, he, he won't hack me. Do you oh, like yeah, those challenges? I encourage skeptics. I want the skeptics to turn up here today to Atlantia. I want them to be open to their, uh, you know, their scientific techniques. But more importantly, you're war- more than welcome if you're a skeptic. Come here and challenge me, and I will take the challenge on today. I love the skeptics. They can come along, and they can also, by the way, come along on February 22nd to Cork Opera House, which is where <laughs> Reconnected is on. PJ, get you the plug in. So, get the plug in. Well, listen, you know me. I have to get the plug in because you'll probably say, "Ah, oh, we've had Keith on a few weeks ago, and you won't let me on again." <laughs> So I have to get the plug in. But, but more importantly, I'd love to come down to the studio to you again and hack your brain and try and reveal your pin number on air. Uh, and then maybe you'll come along to reconnect with yourself. So that's a brand new tour, February 22nd in Cork Opera House. Grab your tickets now. They're a good Christmas stock and filler, you know. Always, always the promoter. Good man. Thanks, Keith. A pleasure to, to speak. Anytime we get the opportunity to Keith Barry. And we might do that if we are able to have guests in. Hopefully we'll be able to have guests in by the end of February. We might be able to do that. That'd be great. I'd I'd love to, because I'd love to fight him. I'd love to try and fight him. Uh, The missus always maintains, Queen Bee always maintains that Keith Barry would never hack her brain. I don't know about that though. 1850-715-996. Driving licenses. Jerry's called the opinion line. What's up, mate? Good morning. Uh, Good morning, PJ. Yes, uh, my son-in-law, my son and my daughter-in-law came back from the States there about 16 months ago and, uh, my daughter-in-law's U.S. license uh, is not acceptable uh, for insurance companies. And uh, that's what I thought about going through the driving test and the training. And that's, there's no date possible. That's all backlogged. So it looks like the only way around it is for her to fly back to Korea, where she's from, get a Korean license and bring it back here. And that's apparently acceptable. So there's a nice carbon footprint for you. So they'll accept a Korean license? Yes. But they won't accept her American license? Yes. For insurance? (laughs) Yep. Has anyone been able to explain (laughs) that one to you? There you go. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Jerry, that certainly leaves us with a what-the-hell moment. Thank yes. you very much for your yes. call. Bureaucracy for you, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Thanks, Jerry. 1850-7159. Can anyone riddle me that? She's, she's from Korea. They've been living in America. She has a full American driving license. That's not acceptable here to get her insured and get her able to drive. But 
one from her native Korea, which of course she doesn't have because she's been in America. Thanks, Councillor John Maher has sent us pictures of that protest in Glenmire. We're still trying to find out a little bit more about it. That driving licence story is just the berries altogether. The woman has is from Korea, hasn't been there for years, but if she goes to flies all the way to Korea, gets herself a Korean driver's licence, comes back to Ireland, she can get insurance. But she's been in America for God knows how long she has an American driver license and they won't accept it. That's do you know when they say something is just a little bit Irish? There's I, I can't tell you because I forget which one of the news sites has flashed up this morning that Neffet is now recommending the extension of COVID passes to other places, although they haven't exactly said what other places. I know hairdressers were suggested during the week and other such services. And of course, any shop and any business has the right, if they want to, to ask for your COVID pass for entry. They do have that right. They're not all doing it, but they do have that right that they want. It's entirely up to themselves. Uh, Suzanne then is suggesting on Twitter, and I wonder, has anybody else thought about this? She's wondering, I'm thinking of getting a lanyard you know, one of those things you put around your neck like a little lammy, like a little pass card for a access all areas for a concert and putting her COVID cert into one side of the lammy and getting her ID on the other side so that when she's going in somewhere, all she has to do is say, there's my cert, there's my ID. Twist one, run. Talk about a practical solution. Look, the things are with us until at least February. We might as well get used to it. 1850 715996. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, it seems that protest in Danmire, of which we have some photographs, is to do with allegations of racism. And there's something like a couple of hundred, or there were up to before 11, a couple of hundred students out on the road. Protest over allegations of racism. Again, if we find out any more or we have someone to speak to, we'll certainly do it before before midday. Hello and good morning. I haven't mentioned them in a while to the boys and girls of the PROC, who are proudly boasting their new forum, which, lads, in fairness, the old Renault 4 was an easier drive. But we'll get used to it, I suppose. <laughs> Most of my listeners have no idea what an old Renault 4 was. Ask anybody who was around around that time uh, what an old Renault 4 was. The new Frock website, the new forum, drives about as easy as an old Renault 4. So, but thank you, lads, for the mention. As always, listening to my mistakes or for my mistakes. Ah, we love you, really. 185715. 996 on Keith Barry where is he I didn't catch it on radio he is appearing at an open day today uh, with the Atlantia clinical trials out in Blackpool I don't know if there are any slots left with him 
but he's back. He was plugging the head out of his new show back in, in Cork Opera House in the end of February. If you can have guests in studio, what should you bring the wife in and let Keith have a go at the wife from John? She says she'd beat him hands down any time. Yeah, we'll see, John. We'll see, we'll see. 1850-715-996. Last hour of the week. We've a lot to get through, so less of me. Uh, Breaking Out is a new film about the life and times and work of a man called Fergus O'Farrell. One of these people of whom I feel I should know more, uh, and I'm rather ashamed that I don't, and that's the whole purpose to the film. The director is Michael McCormack. Michael, good morning to you. Peter, good morning. How are you? Good. Who is or was Fergus O'Farrell, and why should I know more about him, but I don't? Well, you say, you're dead right. You're, you're, what you said is, uh, is exactly the reason why I made the film. Uh, when people come up to me after seeing it and they say, how come I didn't know? I say, well, you're the person that I, I made this film for. Fergus O'Farrell was the lead singer of a band called Interference, who in the uh, mid to late 80s, were uh, ploughing their furrow in uh, around Ireland. Uh, they were m- mostly a bunch of Corkonians with a couple of dubs thrown in. And they had swagger and they had a sound that was all their own and a confidence that was all their own. And when you went to see them play, you'd look around you and the Hot House Flowers, the Black Velvet Band, established bands would be there. And then you'd see the likes of Glenn Hansard and Mundy and Damien oh. Rice. Uh, and all all these rising stars standing there. We'd all be there because the gigs were few and far between because Fergus had a condition called muscular dystrophy. Uh, right. And so that meant that he couldn't play and they couldn't play as often as they did. But they were so well rehearsed that they blew everything else out of the water. I do remember the name. I don't ever remember seeing them. What kind of music did they do? Uh, that's the that's the question. I, I mean, uh, Dave Fanning would often say at the time that they were hard to pigeonhole, which can't can sometimes be a, a bad thing for a band because people like to categorise. But it was what what made them so attractive to so many musicians because they had so many styles. Uh, they, I mean, Steve Wall um, from the Stunning says it best. Probably he said they sounded a little bit like. Pearl Jam, a little prog rocky. There was some country in there. There was some folk. It had something for everybody. That sounds like you could have been an awful lot of fun to listen to, Michael. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you could never, you were never bored at an interference gig. You know, they, they gave you everything. Absolutely everything. So what inspired you to make the film? Was it because you wanted more people to know about this guy? Because he, he died at just 48 years of age. Yeah, Peter, but but I suppose one of the things that uh, uh, when I first sat down with Fergus uh, to start filming in 2004, one of, the, one of the first stories he told me was about, and his mother told me, was about how at the age of eight he sat in front of a doctor beside his mother and the doctor said that he, he wouldn't make it past 20. Um, so Fergus, but at that time, Less was known about muscular dystrophy, and the, the, there's a lot of different strands. So the the type that he had meant that he could have a longer life, but it's an awful disease that that you know chips away 
at you over time. Mm-hmm. And so that's what was hap- happening to Fergus. I sat down with him in 2004 and he I put a camera on him for a weekend. I thought at the time that I was potentially making a, a niche documentary uh, about a band that a few people loved. Um, and I realized after that weekend that I was going to tell uh, probably one, the best story I'd ever tell. So where can we get to see this film? So the film is on a general release from next Friday, it's the 19th of November, and uh, it'll be in uh, Cork, Dublin, Galway, Belfast, hopefully in as many cinemas as possible. And I think one of the things I'd say about it is that obviously it, uh, it won at the Galway Film Flat in 2019 and was supposed to be released when COVID came along. And the funny thing is, uh, muscular dystrophy as a disease, for the last few years of Ferguson's life, he was in his own lockdown. So for this to come along seemed, uh, seemed almost unbelievable that the film was put into uh, the lockdown as well with, with the rest of us. What, ha- what has happened now, I think, is as we come out of this and that we're all getting to go out again, it seems like the perfect time because he was an inspirational figure. And I think it may sound like a sad story, but it's not. It, it, I hope that if people get along to see it, that they'll leave the cinema f- feeling uplifted. And can we get our hands on Interference's music? Did they record? Yes, they did. He recorded one album in his lifetime with the band and was finished and another one was released posthumously after he after he died. Um, and at the moment there is an album being prepared. Uh, it, interference was a collective of musicians and I would include Glenn Hansard in that. Glenn is playing a gig. Uh, with the band in the Sugar Club in Dublin tonight and in Cyprus Avenue on Sunday in Cork. Oh, okay. um, and uh, that again will be a celebration of Fergus's music. And the, uh, Glenn and the lads have got together and the the, the best songs that, that Fergus recorded over the years have been remastered uh, by a very, very famous um, engineer called Bob Ludwig. Mm-hmm. And that should be, uh, keep an eye out because that will be released soon. Okay, wherever you get your music, as they say these days. Michael McCormick, director of a new film called Breaking Out, about the life and times of Fergus O'Farrell, uh, the man behind a band called Interference. I must go and listen to some of their music over the weekend. I remember the name. I don't ever remember seeing them in the 80s or 90s, but look forward to to the movie. Uh, A great name in Irish music. Forgotten, but thankfully not for much longer uh, due to the work of Michael McCormack. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. They can call Wayne Hilton. Wayne Hilton. On Cork's 96FM. Join me Saturday mornings from 10. I've got four hours of the best music mix. Check out the Cork Weekend Survey. Have a go at the Wayne Teaser question. There's the latest celebrity goss. A look at what's happening around town. And we'll keep you up to date with all your essential Cork news. Wayne Hilton. Saturdays, 10 a.m. With Newmarket Motors Volkswagen. Where you can test drive the full Volkswagen range. Including the all-electric ID3 and ID4. See newmarketvolkswagen.ie. On Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The 
Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. One of the great things about this programme is stuff that comes up just opens a whole broader conversation. We took a call earlier on about driving licences and trying to get one renewed. Helen, you're having your own troubles. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yes, I am. Frustration, um, to say the least of it. And I do understand it is COVID and I understand, you know, that these places are absolutely inundated with renewals, etc. Strangely enough, I could get my passport if I needed it renewed within days online. Um, PJ, I reapplied again, like a previous caller, I realised that my licence was running out of date. And in June, the end of June, I reapplied. Now I'm over 70. So that necessitates going in and going to the GP. And my GP is in the city, even though I'm in Lower Ahida. So I got a, uh, my eye test done fine. He stamped it. Um, my GP is free, fortunately, because I'm over 70, but the eye test isn't. So I got that done, sent it all off, nothing phoned them on several occasions, PJ. Mm-hmm. I phoned them several times. Eventually, you get a human voice. And when you do, they were very nice people. They were extremely nice people. Um, because I had it in by the end of June, I should have been actually allowed no eye test. Um, it was a concession that they were giving because of COVID. But I still sent in the eye test. Um, nothing. Mm. A month later, phoned again, nothing. Sorry just just a question, Helen. Were you not entitled to the derogation that people got that when the driving, elastic, driving license expired, they just extended it by another 10 or 11 months because of COVID? That's grand, PJ. And yes, and I'd be quite happy with that. And I'm sure if one of the guards you call has stopped me, they would accept that. But when you go abroad, so my sister lives in the UK and in order to hire a car there, they want your current driving license. Uh-huh. So I couldn't, when I went over to her um, a month ago, I couldn't hire a car. I'm going back again on the 27th to her and I'm flying into Liverpool, but I won't be able to hire a car uh, to go I up see. to her in Manchester. I see. I see. What we're going to do is, I think that Fergal is going to ring you back once we finish this conversation and take some more details. We're going to send some of your information and your query on to NDLS to see what might be the delay but that's that's <laughs> a, that is a new one on, on me certainly that that particular derogation where they said ah oh, look you're fine your license is valid for another 8 9 10 yeah. months and they quietly extended it again recently yes you you yes you can't hire a car in England. Well, and I, I would, I wouldn't have been so aware of that if my GP in the city didn't say it. He said, "Helen, I had the same problem myself. I went abroad, and it was a problem." Okay. And okay. that's more than anything. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fine here locally and yeah. in Ireland. If a guard does stop, I know they understand. But try hiring a car and abroad now, and I'm going further abroad. Yeah. I still won't be able. To, I don't feel happy that I would be able to hire a car without my driving license, that, and I believe... Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, That's a whole new conversation out of that uh, particular element of it. Helen, thank you. Uh, we'll be in touch with you, Fergal. We'll be in touch with you, and we will see what the NDLS tell us. Because, to be fair, they're quite cooperative with media and have been 
over the years. 1850-71599 says, quick reminder about Premier League Live on Saturdays from midday at 96fm.ie, all powered up by Talk Sport. Pre-match analysis, live commentary, exclusive interviews and all the post-match breakdown that you need. Premier League Live Online with now stream live action from BT Sports and Premier Sport with a now Sports Extra membership. Listen Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. Before we finish today, we're talking about Christmas trees. Hey, it's six weeks to Christmas Eve. Uh, would you consider getting a Christmas tree in a little pot this year? And better again, would you consider giving it back after Christmas so that they can grow it for you in the pot for next year? That's coming before we finish today. 1850-715-996. Now, a military veterans charity, and I would say one of the most respected charities in the country, is to create a network um, for people leaving the Defence Forces to help them get jobs in the private sector. ONE is the Organisation for National Ex-Servicemen and Women, and it's setting up branches around the country to do just that. James McCann is a board member with ONE. James, good morning to you. How you doing, PJ? You well? Good. Outline for me briefly the history of the charity, because it's been around quite a while, and the, and the work that you do. Yes, indeed. So, uh, I suppose Oakley Commission to Naharan was, uh, uh, I suppose, established um, post World War Two uh, after the emergency uh, to basically help uh, you know the country's veterans, uh, support them with, I suppose, uh, comradeship, um, obviously just general support, um, and and you know to to assist many veterans who unfortunately can fall on hard times. Uh, so the the charity operates a, a network of hostels uh, around the country uh, for for the country's uh, uh, veterans. Uh, we also would have a network of veteran support centres um, uh, and we're progressively rolling out uh, more of those veter- uh, veteran support centres across the country as well. So, you know, in, in terms of our, our national membership, uh, we would have north of, of, of 5,000 uh, members. Um, and, you know, look, as I say, it, it's our role to, to look after those who've who served the country well. Mm. A military career sets you up for many other things in terms of the things you learn in the military about organisation and and many other things. But sometimes people come out of the forces and struggle to get work in the private sector. Why do you think that is, James? They do. And and look, you know, it wouldn't be uh, a very unusual journey. Um, You know, obviously, I'll just kind of talk about my own experience. So so I done four years in the Defence Forces when I was 17. I suppose I went in, I I left at at 21. Um, Didn't go through college, didn't have an apprenticeship. uh, And obviously the transferable skills when you're going into a recruit or anyone else like that, um, you know, they're they're not exactly uh, uh, clear, you might say, to a potential employer. Um, So... It, it, it can cause, I, I, I suppose, uh, th- th- there's a bit of retraining to be done and, and a reorientation from from military life to civilian life, um, and and some of our veterans would 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 struggle with that transition, um, and you know it's, it's it's just part of the course. Uh, in terms of, I suppose, you know, the the, the network that, that we're looking to to create, um, you know, ONE would 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 have. Um, as I say, quite a, a large membership base, but it, it wouldn't be, I, I suppose, when when you consider a veteran, not many people would consider the the the, the maybe twenty five year old who done you know four or five years experience, and they're very much, you know, a part of that community. Um, they have their their own. 
uh, struggles, I suppose, in making some of those transitions from from again military life to, to civilian life. Um, and we want to be able to to to, to work, you know, with all veterans of all ages uh, who served. Uh, and and this is part of that initiative to to help that. Yeah, because many private companies would be very interested in uh, former personnel, you know, for certain mm. capabilities that you learn within the military. You learn to be reliable, you learn to turn up on time, you learn to turn up well That's turned right. out, you learn you learn Absolutely. to follow instructions to the letter. You'd think you'd Indeed. be a dream employee for a lot of people. Yeah, no, no, absolutely, and and that's you know at the core of, uh, I suppose the the value system that the 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 defence forces instills uh, in those who who've gone through its ranks. Um, and again, you know, a lot of former veterans have have made very successful careers having left the defence forces. Um, but it's not the same experience for for everybody, and, yeah. and you know, like. I, I suppose it depends on on when you go in and when you come out and the, the different life stage you're at and the different challenges that that you might be be be, be experiencing, um, and there's an absolute appetite amongst employers uh, to to bring uh, I suppose you know veterans into their organisations. I know an awful lot of the even the US multinationals look you know incredibly uh, uh, kindly on, on on veterans um, because you know they, they understand uh, the kind of skill set that they come with. Uh, unfortunately, again, making the transition can be a big hurdle, and uh, you know, being able to to articulate your your skill set and, and and being able to upskill after you leave the defence forces uh, can be a challenge. Um, and we want to be able to pair up those who have left and, and, and made a successful transition with those who, who are maybe leaving or who are, who are struggling to, to, to get into, uh, I, I suppose, an area of employment of interest to them, um, just so we can, we, we can help, you know, kind of continue on that, that community element um, and, and, and support veterans as best we can. Okay. So how will your new, uh, the, your, your new mentoring service work and when will it be set up? Yeah, yeah. So I, I suppose, you know, first of all, uh, we, we already have a branch network established. So any any veteran um, uh, uh, across the country can sign up um, to become a member of ONE at one-veterans.org. Um, so you, you can be assigned a branch uh, at that stage and, and you can uh, get involved with the organization uh, at that level. Um, separately to that, you know, we're looking at launching as part of our diversity and inclusion strategy for next year. Uh, we're looking at establishing different, uh, I, I suppose, what you might call, uh, uh, you know, wings for, for, for say, uh, you know, those between 18 and 35, for example, sure. um, that would have very different needs to, to uh, o- o- other segments of, of veterans. So we're going to be looking at creating a centralised uh, um, uh, branch in which we can organise mentoring events around the country uh, and networking events for, for different cohorts uh, of, of veterans. And, and yeah, look, as I say, the branch network is already there. They're going to be working very hard as, as part of this initiative uh, to, to bring more veterans into the organisation, uh, to, to, again, help them with, with mentorship. And we're going to be, as part of our diversity and inclusion strategy, uh, a cater to, to all uh, uh, all kind of needs of veterans, uh, you know, from from youth to LGBT, uh, uh, you know, uh, women, and obviously that that has been, uh, as we know, the Women of Honor uh, yeah. issue that has been a very prevalent in the the last couple of months. You know, all of this needs to be to be looked at as, as, as a as a as, as a whole in terms of veteran support. You have a website people can look at, I assume. We do indeed. Uh, one-veterans.org. Okay. All right. Good luck with it, James, and indeed to every member of ONE. Thank you for your service to our nation, whatever length of time you spent within the Defence Forces. Can we just talk?
the opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's six weeks. Today's Christmas Eve. It is the time, though, when people start looking at the Christmas trees. And a new thing this year is getting one in a pot. Now, I've never seen people actually doing this before. I'm sure they have. But christmastree.ie has a whole branch of its website this year uh, devoted to taking out a potted Christmas tree. A live Christmas tree. And with the Christmas lights up, I'm sure there's a few Christmas trees that will go up this weekend or next weekend as well. Colm Crowley from christmastree.ie. Why pot-bound Christmas trees? Colm, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on. Delighted. Christmas trees in a little pot, a live growing tree. Yeah. Why? Um, I suppose it's just a more sustainable way to, to celebrate Christmas, really. Um, it's just a way for the Christmas tree to live on past Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, like it takes 12 to 14 years to grow a Christmas tree. It's about six foot. So to actually use it for three or four weeks, it yeah. can be a bit of a shame. And a lot of people kind of wanted to you know, to to get a bit more out of it. Yeah, because the traditional tree that you buy and they roll it in a little net for you, like, is that an entire tree or is it the top off a bigger one? No, it's an entire tree, yeah. Like, it's going from, from seed in the nursery for up to four years and then it's put out into a field for about ten years. Right. Oh, so it's quite an old tree then. Yeah, it's quite an old tree, all right, yeah. Right. So your little ones then, how old are they? You're the ones in the pots. Well, so like they probably take about the same time to to grow as well. Nice. Um, like you, you put them into the pot the same time as you put them into the field, and they, you know, pretty much grow the, the, at the same time as as something in a field. Right. Maybe a little bit slower because um, you're restricted a small bit in a pot with nutrients and um, with moisture, um, but they're thereabouts around the same time. So when I've had them in the pot then for the Christmas season and kept them and watered them, and all, can I then put them out yeah. into the garden and grow them? Yeah, like a few options. So you can keep it in the pot and, you know, use it again next year, whether you're going to bring it indoors or leave it outside. Or you can actually, you know, take it out of the pot and plant it in your garden as a, an actual outdoor Christmas tree. Yeah. And is that an easy thing to do? Will it take, like, when, when would you plant it? Um, you normally plant it um, when the trees are in, you know, they're in dormancy, which is at the moment. Um, like even after Christmas is a good time. Right. Like we planted one out out our own back garden um, last Christmas. Last was last January, and like it's thriving. You yeah. Know? Yeah, because I do. I, I love the idea. We have a we had an old bush in our front garden long ago. It was called George. You know, George. Bush. All right. But but George is long gone, and I'm nice thinking. Name, nice name. I know. It'd be think it'd be a nice place to put a, put an old Christmas tree. It's it's a certain. Well, come out to me, come out to me, uh, PJ. We'll, we'll sort out with a nice tree. And no then problem. there's another one. You can rent it. Now that's the bit. I, that's the, so you you'll t- collect it afterwards and, and keep it going for for the person for next year. Yeah. So like the renting, like like uh, like I, I saw that they were doing it um, in the states and Germany, um, and they were doing it quite successfully. So like I knew Irish people would really take to to the renting side. Um, so basically with the renting, we like we rent the tree as late as possible. 
because right. you're not really meant to bring the tree indoors for more than two to three weeks. Yes. Um, so we rent around the 10th to the 12th of December. Right. And then we collect it in on January 2nd. Okay. Um, and then it's brought back to our farm then in West Cork and it's cared for for the year. Mm. And you can even rent the exact same Christmas tree again next Christmas. Really? Well, will, it, yeah. will it not be a lot bigger? It'll probably be about six or eight inches taller. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it'll be a little bit bigger, right? Yeah. Um, Are people getting their orders in early? They are. I mean, like, we, we launched our website um, at the start of October and, like, the orders have been coming in fast and furious, really. Yeah. Um, like, I'm so grateful to everyone that's actually come on board and we support this idea, yeah. like, both our customers and the Blackrock Curling Club, is, which is where our shop opens from yes. the 20th of November. And I take it that you do the standard trees as well as the ones in the pots. Oh, we do the standard trees as well. Like, the standard trees are very, it's still very sustainable. Um, as, you know, like, they still continue to to um, you know, to take carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and you know provide oxygen. Yeah. It's just that with the popcorn Christmas trees, because they they're not cut and they're they're still alive, they continue that process for longer. You know. I have you. I so um, like yeah. for for every tree that's uh, that's sold in Ireland, for every cut Christmas tree, there's normally one or two planted. Yes. Um, like they're cut say November, but they're planted then again in yes. the spring. Yes. You know. So. Yeah. And in term, every we're talking everything column now, we're wondering about supply. And is there enough of a supply there for a busy Christmas? There is. Like, you know, um, I mean, we've been planning this, like, since the start of the year. So, like, we're, 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 we're well stocked up for, um, for, you know, for trees. But the only thing I will say is, like, the rentals, the rental this year really is only a pilot scheme for us. Right. Um, we're just going to see how it goes. And we're trying, you know, a few different methods with it. Um, so they're actually selling very quickly. Okay. So, like anyone that's re- you know interested in renting, I would suggest to like to order as soon as possible because I would say that by the time our shop opens next week, our rentals will probably be fully booked. Okay. Well, all the information is on your website, christmastree.ie. Christmastree.ie, and we're we're very active on Instagram then as well. Okay. Cork and Christmas trees. All right. Coming into the busiest time of the year, maybe we'll talk again before the big day. Colm Crowley from christmastree.ie. Tree in a pot, taken, planted after the Christmas, rent it, give it back to them, or just a regular tree. Christmastree.ie. My transplanted tree have it up and decorated already. Happy Christmas from Middleton. We're getting reports. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, that's something else. Uh, for the last five years or so, this is John and Cove, they've been using a 30-foot stainless steel pole inspired by a Christmas tree or representing a Christmas tree, depending on who you talk to. And all the councillors and officials are delighted with it. It's a monstrosity. It's going up again on November 21st, if you want to see it. As more people find out about it, it'll become a big attraction. Not to warm your heart, but as a symbol of municipal folly. Oh, listen, public trees for public places need to be proper trees. You'll, you'll, you'll win me over there, John. I disagree with you on some things, but a tree in a public place has got to be a real tree. 1850-715-996. Need to pop back down to Atlantia Clinical Trials. They're having their mind and body open day, as we were telling you earlier on. And uh, Ken Perrothink is down there for us. Councillor McNugent, Sinn Féin. Sorry, hold on a while. Wait till I find... Where did I put Ken... Where did I put Ken Perrothink? Ah, he's here. 
Thanks PJ. I know you had Keith Barry on earlier on. He's out with us for the afternoon here in Blackpool Retail Park. We're at Atlantia Clinical Trials and today it's the Atlantia Mind and Body Wellness Open Day. Well, Keith Barry is looking after the mind part as he'll crack your mind. The body part is being looked after by a free mini health check as well. That's here across the afternoon. Come and join us here at Blackpool Retail Park at Atlantia Clinical Trials and find out more about some of the amazing groundbreaking work that's being done weekly by the guys here at Atlantia Clinical Trials trials. We're here till one o'clock. I'm Ken Paris with the Street Fleet on Cork's 96 FM. Thank you, Ken. Now, you might have seen that lovely scene last night at the end of the match. Young Irish supporter who ran across the pitch to Cristiano Ronaldo and even managed to get his jersey off him. Uh, they've had some really kind words on the pitch. This is 11-year-old Addison Whelan. Went over to her hero and gave him a hug and then he took off his shirt and, and gave it to her. Like, talk about the biggest moment of your entire life. Addison Whelan has been talking to our friends at FM 104 in Dublin. Okay, so I jumped the go. fence and I ran over to Ronaldo and I, and I seen two other stewards coming, coming at me from the other side. Right. So I went away a little bit and then I, I tried to swoop around them, but they caught me. <laughs> and then I was just screaming Ronaldo's name. <laughs> so do you think because you were shouting, he saw you? And then Ronaldo spotted me and he was telling them to leave me. Because they were going to drag you away and, and he, gave you a, he gave you a hug and he gave you his jersey. Yeah. So, so a steward kind of had a hold of you until Ronaldo said leave her. Yeah. Wow. Leave the kid alone. Addison's, Addison's with me. And then you legged her. Yeah. So where's the jersey now, Addison? The jersey's beside me. Give that. Give that, Addison, will you? Give that. <laughs> Can I have it? No. Definitely not. <laughs> uh, what? Did, I mean, we were all watching it. The whole country's watching the game. Big game. And yeah. we're all looking at you running up. And I, I actually was like, ah, oh, no, look at her. What did you say to him, if anything? I was just like, Ronaldo, Ronaldo, can I have your jersey, please? I'm a huge fan and everything. And it was no problem. He gave it to you straight away. Yeah, he he just took it off straight away. And you want to see me dad's face when he when he went to take it off. What? <laughs> my dad's face was just like... <laughs> And did you get into trouble then with the stewards? No, they were actually just like holding me by the arm saying like, where did you come from? And <laughs> <laughs> Grand little chat, that's Alison Whelan and our colleagues and friends at FM 104 in Dublin. She will hold that and treasure it. She'll never watch it again. Biggest moment of her young life, running out to her hero on the pitch. And isn't it nice that you can do that? There's not too many countries in the world where you can actually do that, you know? And, and he was so nice to turn around and give her his shirt. Good on him. 1850-715-996. Now, lots of things. It's just Friday. It's just so busy. The Cabin Studio, of whom you often hear mention here on the Opinion Line, has been named as a recipient of a very special fund. It's a fund of €100,000, and they are going to get 10000 of the fund uh, for their continuing wonderful work. Aileen Galvin is Director of Marketing and Communications with St. Patrick's Festival, and she's here to explain what it's all about. Aileen, good morning to you. How are you, PJ? Uh, greetings from a wet and blustery uh, Limerick, in fact. What are you doing over there? <laughs> Living here. <laughs> <laughs> 
we'll forgive you that. Now. We'll forgive oh, you. How dare you? Are tell, we not monster colleagues? Tell, tell, tell me about the, the, the fund and what it's all about and how the cabin came to benefit. Yeah, so um, we had we started working with TikTok at the National St. Patrick's Festival late last year. They made a really significant investment in the festival for 2021. Um, and as was with our government funding then, it was all about getting money out into the arts and culture and live events ecosystem. So we did a whole lot of work with them um, in St. Patrick's Festival last March. Um, but they were keen to then to make an impact on the ground around the country. So we worked with them to develop this fantastic St. Patrick's Festival TikTok Creative Fund. That, and we designed that to support and inspire creativity in Irish communities. And we had a delicious pot of €100,000 to support that work. Um, and that process has led us to 10 community groups around the country. And uh, the Cabin Studio in Nakhnihini uh, are going to receive €10,000 to create artistic work in their community out of the fund. So we're really excited for them. Yeah, they're going to use it for a specific project as well, I believe. Yeah, so um, they have decided that they're going to explore the importance of women in Irish society through music. And they're planning to launch a series of podcasts and music performances for both International Women's Day and St. Patrick's Day next March. So a really, really ambitious project. Um, they're amazing guys. I've been watching uh, the work that Gary McCarthy and the crew have been doing there for quite a while now. And they genuinely make a, a real impact on the ground. Um, it's so important. Um, you know, the whole idea that arts and culture, it brings people from diverse backgrounds and cultures together to find common ground. And I, I think really the arts are able to facilitate that. You know, they do just amazing work over there. And the tie-in with TikTok is, is marvellous. I mean, this is just, it's just the biggest platform in the world at the moment. Oh, it's enormous. It's enormous. And I have to say, you know, the investment they made in the festival, it just enabled us to do so much. And the other thing is they're very hands off. They weren't prescriptive in what we wanted to do, but they genuinely wanted to get creators on the ground and in communities. And the 10 groups that are going to receive these funds now are, you know, the projects that they put forward are just so interesting. There's everything from pop-up choirs to, you know, um, heritage walks and tours, just just great community resources and probably community groups that wouldn't usually get, you know, a huge amount of funding. And that's the other thing. I think it's going to bring them to light because we're going to platform them during hopefully the festival in 2022. Yeah. And it just means they're going to be showcased to, you know, lots of different people around Ireland, but also globally. And I think that's really important. I was well. just going to ask you that, actually, Aileen. Obviously, we all hope, against hope, that the festival <laughs> can, can, can go ahead as planned and as we would like to see it in 2022. And all of these projects, will, will they all form a part of the festival nationally? Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of a number of projects, projects won't probably actually have happened, you know, by March 2022. But what we're going to do is we're going to go and meet everybody and film the journey and document it and chat with them about what they are doing. So the ones that are ready, we'll platform them during the festival. And then, you know, we'll be able to also showcase the rest of them digitally as well. So we've all moved into the digital space, so it's great. You know, you can get audiences across the world and the accessibility of it. And in a way, I suppose, that's a benefit of the pandemic in that we've all learned to live online. And with that comes not just a local audience or a national audience, but a global audience. Yeah, I mean, there's opportunity in crisis, isn't there? And it's the old adage that necessity is the mother of invention. And who better than artists and makers and creators to find new ways 
of overcoming those adversities. So, I mean, everybody had to pivot into digital and everybody's been able to make that work. Um, we had a great opportunity in St. Patrick's Festival, the national one this year, because Oireachtas TV came on board. Yeah. And that meant that we were able to put everything through 1.2 million homes across the country. Right. So that was, a, you know, it was, it was fantastic. But yeah, digitally, the world can see what you're doing. And, you know, I just think for these community groups, they're the artists of the future. And it gives them a real step up and a showcase. Okay. But the stuff that the cabin are doing is is absolutely fascinating and really looking forward to seeing how their project turns out. Super. And they do great work and I can't wait to hear it myself. Thank you very much uh, for that. That is uh, Aileen Galvin, Director of Marketing Communications for the St. Patrick's Festival. Just the list of, of who is benefiting from it. And it is a very diverse list. The cabin... Uh, get their 10 grand. There's also a, a group in Cavan, Cavan Autism Education and Training Centre, Freshly Ground Theatre Group in Dublin, Creative Lives, a non-profit in County Offaly, uh, Heritage Trust in Carlingford Lock in County Louth, a gallery in Kilkenny, a Discovery Gospel Choir in Dublin, an Italian group, uh, I beg your pardon, on Hollow Moor, in Donegal, in the Gaeltacht, where did I get an Italian group out of that? Uh, Fatima groups in Dublin and the Purple House Cancer Support in County Wicklow, all getting 10 grand to do with as they please to put together a project for the St. Patrick's Festival 2022. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.